from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Happy Friday, security gang. Welcome to an exciting conversation. I've got the man, the legend, Jason Martin, from our friends over at Pantera. Jason, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome. It's afternoon in the East Coast. You're on the West Coast. It's morning. It's the beauty of time difference, right? It's still morning, hence why I have an espresso right here to make sure that I'm talking about a thousand miles a minute with you here. Well, so good morning. I love Thank that. you for having me. I've had so many espressos today. I will give a shout out to our travel espresso mug that you can get only exclusively by going to our Substack, which are awesome, by the way. I, you know, now that I've started traveling a lot of, uh, more, Jason, like I love that thing because I can go to like any coffee shop and I can be like, don't put it in your mug. Just put it right here. It keeps it warm for like three hours. And that matters a lot. Especially when you're traveling because espressos are hard to come by. Like how many hotels have espresso machines? Very few. Yeah, you have, to, you have to Google it, you have to find it, and then take a walk and then come back. And, and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm going to put out some OSINT information here, but, you know, my company, we're, we're, we're Hilton. We can only stay at Hilton's. So go find a Hilton in the area you're trying to get to with an espresso machine. Do you know how many people look that up on Google? Not very many. <laughs> I think I may be the only guy. Yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm very sensitive to it because I need my, I need my fix, I need my caffeine, right? Get, yeah, get my I'm brain going. <laughs> so bad. All right. Well, Jason, welcome to the show. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in this Friday. We are going to take you down a journey, and that journey is quantifying the risk through the mindset of the attacker, which is we often think about this in terms of like MITRE or, or, or the kill chain, and we're going to talk about the kill chain here in just a second. But the journey we want you to go down that Jason and I have kind of, we, we, there's no pre-planned questions on today's episode, just so you all know. We, but we do have a flow. We do have a topic, and we want to take you down the journey of understanding how we need to re- revise the way we think about quantifying risk because we have to put the attacker's mindset first, especially now, especially now because we see kind of the way the decentralization of cybercrime has really kind of elevated everything. So Jason, just give our audience a 20-second overview of who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. Um I'm the director of sales engineers over at Pentera, and we have a uh, unique solution that allows our customers to hack themselves, right, and become the attacker and view their attack surface the way the attackers would in order to prioritize that risk, like you're saying. Uh, And I've been in the industry for quite some time. I've been doing this for about 13 years, spent a lot of time uh, engineering different types of defensive solutions, multi-factor authentication, DLP, SIM. Um, network forensics, endpoint detection response. I said, you know, this is all great, but how do we know this stuff is working? So coming here to Pantera allowed me to actually do that um, and and start engineering from the other side of security. And that's what me and my team, my team do on a day-to-day basis. I love that. I love engineering from the other side. One of my favorite people on the planet, I'll give him a shout out, Daniel Smith. He's a reverse engineer, right? Daniel used to work for Redware. He's now in a new role. I won't say what it is because it's still uh, 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 hidden. Um, he did some amazing work for Redware and Daniel would always come at me and he'd always challenge my thought process. He'd always tell me, James, but how would you reverse it? How would you reverse the process? How would you break it apart from the other end? Not from the way you think, but how would you, how would the attacker go about taking down all these different walls or skipping some of them or tunneling under, um, 
Um, does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I, and I think that is what we're looking to do here, especially talking about, again, security in general. We talk about defense in depth, and that's absolutely the mindset you should have. But to reverse engineer or thinking about it from the other side really will help you validate or verify and prioritize where your efforts should be. And are there any gaps? Are all your investments working as they should be? And that will all go, I think, into the conversation that we're going to be having today. Yeah. And, and that kind of starts off with the kill chain. Everyone knows the Lockheed kill chain, right? 2008, I think, 2007, yeah, 2008. Sure. Sounds about right. right? Yeah. This was before the term cybersecurity really existed, right? I think at the time it was IT security. <laughs> well, <man. laughs> if, if, if that was a thing. Yeah. And um, now we see it, right? And it's awesome. You know, the kill chain really is that mindset for us. Uh, Jason, what do you get out of the kill, ch kill chain, the, the, the kind of the essence of the kill chain? Well, I mean, for, for me, it's, oh, it's thinking like the attacker and with a series of steps that they're going to be perpetrating to ultimately, what, the last step, act on their objectives. But those, what we've seen over time, those objectives have changed. Those objectives might be for somebody else. And the general thought was if you can mitigate earlier in the kill chain, you can stop the intrusion, stop the attack. And while that still applies, I think we need to change the lens or change how we're looking at it to adapt to, again, now that we're in 20, the end of 2023, approaching 2024. And of course, we're still seeing proliferate attacks happen time and time again. I think we need to challenge the way we're looking at this and our methodology and our mindset. The kill chain is invaluable to how we look at defending, right? Um, to, to me, there's two things I look at from a security operations perspective, right? The kill chain is one, and then the MITRE attack defend framework as a backup to the kill chain, right? Because you look at, this is the attack vector. What stage of the kill chain is this attack vector in? Because you got to know how close you are to the end goal activating, right? But I don't think we understand the decentralization of the kill chain. What are you guys seeing in terms of the decentralization of the kill chain and the different processes that go? Yeah, I mean, so now going back to, so we, you know, the seven, seven steps ultimately acting on objectives, those objectives could just be more reconnaissance, which brings us back to the first step, right? And it right. all depends on who's perpetrating this for what purpose. Are you in a supply chain attack? Are you part of a supply chain of somewhere else, right? Because I always used to advise my customers and, and, and say, think about your assets, think about what's critical to the business. That's your business. But is it critical to someone or one of your customers, which will then change based on your attackers, depending on if they're, you know, threat, uh, they're, they're uh, nation state actors, they're script kiddies, they're you know, brokers, wh whatever, right? It all depends on who's coming. So we have to really broaden our vision as to, well, everything is kind of important, but of course that's challenging because of how big our landscape is and just what our attack surface is comprised of. Right. There's a common theme today in, in, in one of the highest growth sectors in the security world, which is identity, right? And in our last Friday conversation was with Jeff, who's the executive director of IDSA, uh, the uh, Identity Security Alliance. And so you kind of look at that and you go, all right, that's 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 really cool, right? Because you know they, they say identity is the new perimeter and I love that. And I agree with it because you know, initial access brokers are going after identity, right? That's that's essentially, but the, the these initial access brokers aren't the people who will perpetrate the eventual goal of that attack right and i think that's something we need to update the kill chain about is the kill chain kind of says here's how an attacker would attack you and it's all these steps but today those steps could be done 
by a lot of different players and then brought together to package to someone to execute. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. And I think as security practitioners, I, I completely agree with you. It, of course, I mean, our jobs are never getting easier. Um, they're only getting harder. And I think it, it requires either an update or a proactive approach to how we look at this and say, yeah, okay. So if, um, you know, the first three steps are going to be done by the initial access broker, well, that means that all the more reason I need to focus on what those initial access brokers are going after, because that's important to them. And it's very easy or it may be easy for them just to take it. And that's their only objective. And they're going to sell it to somebody else. So now I need to be really aware uh, and understand any gaps or misconfigurations um, that is potentially on my attack surface. And I, I think that's where, too, we're, we're starting to see exposure management come into play. Um, and that's really all about the proactivity and, and the continuous nature of trying to validate those security controls. Yeah, there's there's a need to validate these security controls. There's also a need to look at the theory versus the actual side of this, right? Because we often, you know, I think one common one common mistake a lot of security practitioners do is we think when we're trying to talk to people who are not security minded, we tend to go to the theoretical scenario, which is typically a doomsday scenario. What if someone takes down the entire power grid? Well, that's typically a declaration of war, <laughs> right? But 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 if if that happens, then then what are the the other steps? But then then there's an actual side to this, right? There's the theory side, right? Which is which is I say the worst case scenario, kind of what you game plan for. And then there's the actual. How do you separate the theory from the actual in your line of work and kind of you know what you do when you're thinking as a, an attacker? Yeah. So when when we're looking at this theory versus actual, it's do we theoretically have a problem? Do we have actually have a problem? And what I mean by that is we can take in theory what, what the book says as well, but that's going to change depending on your industry, line of business, uh, what your HVA's high value assets are, your critical assets to your business, all of that, like, like I mentioned before, but also looking at what controls you have present because just because theoretically something is uh, impactful doesn't mean it truly is. You might have compensating controls to mitigate that risk. And if you do, then it's, not as risky and that's the the theory versus actual what what can the attacker actually do if you have a 9.5 uh, vulnerability on this asset but that asset isn't even online or if it's not connected or if it's uh, accessed in a certain way then again that that changes the context and context is everything um, because it, it brings to it almost it filters through the noise it kind of just the blinders so i could see clearly and that's the the big challenge is that in these in our environments there's so much that i need to focus and prioritize and that's what theory versus actual means to me yeah i mean and and i, and I like that I, I i like that which is you know what are the gaps what are the actual gaps versus what are the theoretical gaps because there's always a theory of someone breaking something right there's always that theory of brute force but but brute force, I think, and, and even if you look at the, Viz, uh, the Verizon DBIR, right, of this year, brute force, I think, only accounted for under 2% of all breaches, right? So so 98% of the other stuff is misconfigurations, existing vulnerabilities, you know, identity, uh, identity types of attacks, you know, credential stuffings, credential stealing, et cetera. So, so you kind of have to look at that and go, that's great that brute force is but brute force is only 2%. <laughs> now let's turn around and let's look at actual. 
all right, vulnerabilities. Well, what are, what's my vulnerabilities look like? And a common, I think a common misinterpretation that a lot of us practitioners do when I talk about it often on the podcast is the CVSS score, right? People tend to dismiss a 4.2 and take very seriously a, a, a 9 or 0.6, but they may not. We miss that. What do you get out of the CVSS score for yourself, Jason? Well, how, I how think- much weight do you give it? Yeah, so I'm not um, I'm not here to 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 blast CVSS, right? I mean, it, it's th- even like traditional AV, like it had a place, it had a purpose. I I think it's important, but like I mentioned before, context is everything. And when we look at CVSS, what we really need to t- and take into consideration is this is a score given to a specific vulnerability or CVE, but it doesn't necessarily apply to the impact or risk inside my environment. And what I want to do instead is completely understand well how can this vulnerability be used and can it be um, leveraged in a series of steps, which is again, how the attackers behave. It's not just a single zero day. It's a series of steps that happen kind of going back to the kill chain, right? The series of steps that happen. So from, from my perspective, I'm going to still consider a lower vulnerability of five or four, whichever, if that is the top of the chain. And of course, if, you know, a nine point something is leveraged. That's important, but I want to stop it earlier. And that could mean that a lower vulnerability is leveraged in that attack sooner than, than the high vulnerability, which means I should prioritize the lower vulnerability first. Yeah. Well, I think you got to look at vulnerabilities very differently than the way sometimes we're taught to look at vulnerabilities, right? Or the way that a lot of vulnerability detection solutions have you look at them they're always going to prioritize based on cvss they're always going to because that's the standard that's not right or wrong we're not judging them that's the standard that's the industry standard it doesn't make it right or wrong there's something called opinions and but but then there's another thing called experience and understanding Mm -hmm. experience and understanding comes when you realize that this 4.2 carries uh, a lot of pii data or pci data or it has access to specific ip and the way to leverage this specific vulnerability, if I go to my MITRE attack and I look at the kill chain, right, is they need to do these three things. Well, how easy are those three things to do in order to take advantage of this? Well, you know what? We do have additional vulnerabilities here that are on in line to get patched but haven't been done yet. We do know, based on our threat intelligence, that we've got a bunch of credentials out there. We've reset some passwords, but we still don't know everything. And we've got this specific uh, lack of visibility in these three different areas of our network where if someone and and those areas are the ones that could be used for this vulnerability well then now this goes from a 4.2 from the vendor perspective to a nine uh, an 8.8 for me um, and you've got to have that internal calculation of do i have visibility into how this attack would roll and i think a lot of times we we miss that point in vulnerability management right which is what would someone need to do to take advantage of this vulnerability and am i missing the way that meaning could someone already be in my environment could someone have already compromised something where now this is the open ticket the check the train right to take him from point a to the execution part of the kill chain does that make sense jason yeah complete i completely agree and what's the the challenge again i don't i don't think you or i are saying that this is easy but i agree with you it's not the easy. Vari- it's Nothing not, right? Is easy. Yeah, the variables need to uh, be accounted for. And I think because, especially, you know, I see this more in larger organizations, right? You have silos, you have 
you know, Windows and you have, you know, Linux and you have database and you have identity and you have, right. And it's, and, and even, even you can be as secure as possible in those silos, but the interconnectivity and the relationship between those silos. And like you said, like the, the path between that is what we need to start accounting for. And again, it's not easy. How do we do that? And, and we're, we're starting to see more, especially in our line of work. And this is exactly why we're, we do what we do. We're starting to see a, a mindset shift to say, well, yeah, what does the attacker view? Because the attacker doesn't care if there's information here, there, here, there. They're going to get that information and leverage it in that chain, in that series of steps. And if we can be proactive and understand what those steps are, we can A, understand what the true risk is, and B, if we have security controls, mitigating controls in those spots, whether it's like EDR, NDR, or firewalls, or whichever, we can also verify that they're working correctly. And that's something that we really need to do. I mean, we do it with backups. We want to make sure that with backups can be can be restored. Why are we not doing that with our security controls, right? We absolutely need to do that. Well, because we're not constantly testing, right? And continuous <sighs> testing right. is so important, right? I mean, when you get to the bottom line of vulnerability management, the, the, the challenge of vulnerability management is continuous testing. Because we often look at a vulnerability, we speak to whoever owns the product, right? Because we, we, we have to go through that, right? Uh, uh, accounting owns ERP. All right, we have an issue with our ERP system. All right, let's go talk to whoever owns it on the accounting side. We need to get this done. All right, who's the engineer that's responsible for doing this? Right, so who on the tech team? All right, now we've got to uh, patch a uh, a testing environment to make sure it breaks nothing. All right, now we've tested it. We've validated that it works. Now let's go through change management to get this update because it's the ERP system. You've got to go through through change management, right? So that takes a few weeks sometimes especially if it's not very important. So now in those few weeks, and we know that attackers mindset is the moment something's out there and there's a patch available and there's a vulnerability within 20 minutes, they're scanning for them. They're looking for vulnerable versions within 20 minutes of the announcement. If it takes you two weeks, you're two weeks behind. Right? Time How do you adjust yeah. to that time set? I mean, I think what do you see? Is it possible or are we just always going to be playing behind Jason? Time is, is I completely, time is of the essence and I'm, I'm always trying to evangelize minimizing dwell time inside the environment, right? So dwell time being, of course, the, the point at which an intrusion begins up until which the intrusion is detected. And in that two weeks, if we're going through change management, which don't get me wrong, again, is important uh, because you want to make sure nothing else is impacted, but I mean, it's not an easy answer because I, there's valid reasons for that. But we're, if, the, if we, if we stay in that mindset, we're going to be, we're going to be continuously behind. And I think we need to, as security practitioners, we need to continue flying the flag of saying, look, time is of the essence. We need to make sure that, and, and this is always the conundrum between security and convenience and the, and the business, um, we need to be as quick as possible. And that's not, like I said, that's not easily done, but if we have actual proof or we can actually show evidence of what is going on and say, look, this is our risk. We want to accept this risk and two weeks, or is there something that we can do? Maybe we can rethink a process to try and minimize that even by a little, even by 50%, that's still actionable metrics and metrics that put us in the right direction and are a step in the right direction. See, see, I think we, we, we constantly as practitioners, we talk risk. I realize that we're, we're in the risk game. That's yeah. what we are. That's what we do. We, we either govern, identify risk, and then we find ways to mitigate that risk if the risk is unacceptable. But for the business, we have to change that conversation a little bit, 
we have to go around business operations. Yeah. A disruption here could lead to us having to restore a system and our last backup and restore test that we did on this system would take us four days. Meaning if they took advantage of this, we're not only losing data, but we're probably going to lose four to five days worth of using this, this, this product, this system. What does that mean to the business? So if we couldn't do this for four or five days, what does this, how much revenue does this one thing account for? Okay. So it counts for $3 million a day in revenue. Are we willing to risk $15 million to fix something that would take us two hours to fix overnight and reduce that $15 million risk? Because it's not $15 million. As we know, if you look at Rackspace, Rackspace didn't go through a very complex event, right? They had an Office 365 environment, uh, an Exchange server. Sorry, it was a, not Office it was an Exchange server. Their Exchange server was vulnerable. They weren't patching it because they couldn't get the right downtime in play to get it done in time. Threat actors came in, took advantage of it. This happened last year, right? And we now know that the cost of that attack, just the cost of it to Rackspace is around $12 million. Right now they have a $5 million policy. So they lost 7.2, they had to invest to fix it 7.2 million. And I'm not talking about the customer loss of revenue, right? How many customers who had their emails on that exchange server may have pulled out and said, we need to go to Office 365 now, get us, get our domains up and running on Office 365, migrate us there right now. And then potentially three, six months later, left Rackspace to go somewhere else because that trust was lost and that lost revenue isn't always shown in these numbers, right? Because CFOs like to play with this stuff uh, one way or the other. Does that make sense? No, yeah, yeah no, uh, I, I, I agree. And I think that we can, un unfortunate as it is, right? Ransomware is, is the top uh, concern. When I go in and I talk to customers and prospects, it's, it's still very real. So, because it's another variable, right? Not only talking about the loss of availability of critical business functions, let's say your retail or whatever, now you're not making revenue b based on that time, but you also have to pay what the ransom on top of that or whichever. So that adds, that adds even more. Or so recover. Or right. recover. if you don't pay that ransom and you're trying to recover and your backups are only recovered, you don't do daily backups. You do weekly, monthly, every other week. When was the last time you did a backup? And if you don't think these attackers know it, attacker mindset, number one, when they no, launch you. an attack, they know. No, you're enemy. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> they know you. Recon. Yep. They've done their recon, right? When yep. they launch an attack, they go, all right, now you stand to risk 12 days worth of data being lost because we're encrypting your backups because we know where you're backing up. Yep. So now you've and, got no way to recover or and it goes, it's going to be it, very difficult for you. It goes back to what you're saying. Like some of those, even acting on objectives for now may just be waiting and, and observing and understanding how you do business and on all that, you know, dwell time. It goes back to that. Now I know what I know. I know what I know. I know exactly what your processes and procedures are. I know your people. Going back to what we we're saying by identity and everything, see, it's, it's this web. Everything is connected. And understanding that web and, like you mentioned, proactively testing is to the best of our ability to within our business tolerance, I think, is critical. You said a line as we were getting ready for the show. That's one of my favorite ones. It's actually in my show notes. Know thyself. And what continuous testing allows you to know is know thyself. Where am I strong and where am I weak? And I think we ought to know more about our weaknesses than we do about our strength. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm 
Um, again, your your audience probably can't see, but I'm not a tall guy, right? And I'm a Wing Chun practitioner. So I'm all about hand-to-hand, hand-to-hand combat. And you have to know, like, by pressure testing, the only way when we're in the student, when we're in the school and we're learning is by pressure testing, right? We can, we can theory, right? Going back to what you're talking about, I can block and punch and all that. But until I'm getting pressured and I'm actually under stress and I can see, okay, I can, I, I handle this very well, but man, I have a, I'm, I'm open. My center line is open. I'm going to get hit in my throat or something. I need to work on that. Okay. Now I can work on that and I'm good. And I can move on to the next, but only by pressure testing with tall people, short people, medium people, whichever from different angles, am I really going to know myself? And it's the same thing for our business. We should be doing that. And, um, there's many ways of doing that. And we're here, for example, like Pantera is helping is, is to our main goal is to enable all of our customers to do that more often. Yeah, I mean, and and again, I think what you guys do is is effective. I had a great conversation with Marcel in Black Hat, right? And you know, again, it's it's not just knowing yourself; it's only knowing the attacker. And you've got to be, if you don't know thyself, you're not going to know your attacker. Which meaning you're you're defending blindly. That's almost like, um, um, have you ever seen Talladega Nights? Who hasn't seen? I don't know if anyone's ever seen Will Will Ferrell. I know I have. I, I can't. I can't quote it. <laughs> well, you don't need to quote it. There's one scene in there that makes that I say makes all the sense in the world, even though it's one of the dumbest scenes in the movie. <laughs> that dumb scene where he's at a NASCAR, he's delivering pizzas, and Billy Bob Thornton, who's his dad in that movie, comes back, and he's trying to get him to get to get into the car again and drive fast, right? And what does he do? He part. He puts him in the middle of a residential street, and he puts blinders on him right he puts a huge banana and he goes if you can feel it you can do it and he has him drive and he ends up crashing into a house <laughs> well the the story behind that is if you don't know thyself which then you don't know your attacker and that scene exemplifies that you think you know the road but you don't and you can very easily crash and burn thinking you know and I think that's the challenge, yeah. right? I think that's the challenge. And that's why continuous testing, continuously questioning, and then looking at your testing data and looking at your, your security operations and then looking at your vulnerabilities and building your own matrix is so critical. Um, that, <clears throat> that is the challenge is given how, how dynamic and how many variables there are. And we've... We've seen even when we go into um, every time we walk in and we run an engagement, right? Uh, it's like, you know, it's a one day we bring Pantera in and we say, all right, let's take a look. It's always a, a I never know what I'm going to walk into, right? We, we run, walk into very secure environments. They're zero trust initiative. And I go, all right, let's put it to the test. And we see controls lining up all the time. We're like, all right, cool. Then we walk in some other times and we think that we have all these controls and we still find little gaps here and there. And it's like, we didn't even know about this. Cool. Now, you know, and you know, going back to my analogy of the final, now we can, we can quickly mitigate something that could have potentially left a ton of exposure. And it's just that hygiene, right? It's the hygiene of you brush your teeth every day. Cool. I mean, we should be testing every day or as often as we can, whatever the appetite is. Right. And that can grow over time as well. You and I are hand-to-hand combat aficionados. We love hand-to-hand combat, right? In hand-to-hand combat, you not only need to know your enemy, you need to know your surroundings. Could he grab a chair, a piece of glass, right? Um, A weapon, uh, something that could give my enemy an advantage over me, right? So before you engage someone in hand-to-hand combat, 
a lot of people don't understand this. This isn't MMA or UFC where you're in an octagon and there's nothing in there. This is WWF. <laughs> he has a steel chair. It's unscripted. It's, it's, it's but but it's the unscripted version of it, right? You're not you're not going to know he's going to come at you with a chair until he does, right? You're not going to know he's going to throw you over the ropes, take you under there, and then grab a pole and hit, hit you, beat you over the head with it. You don't know it because it's 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 the essence of the original part of wwe right the unscripted version the raw old school version of it from the 80s and 90s right where it was like we know who's gonna win but we didn't script the whole fight which today we all you know if i'm if i'm if i'm shattering your belief that this was <laughs> not the case i apologize <laughs> spoiler um, alert <laughs> some, some spoiler alert on today's show <laughs> wwe is not real it's 100 scripted everyone says it everyone knows it it used to be though if you watch like the old wrestlers that say well we knew at the end of this match so and so was has going to have to win we knew that they were going to do their signature move and that was it but then everything going on from the entrance from the time the bell rings to the time it ends that that was unscripted that was the two fighters really between themselves working it out right um and 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 now it's it's 100 scripted but but that's kind of go back to the 80s of, of wwe I, wwe wwf when it's unscripted and you never knew who was going to grab and grab a chair and hit you with it you didn't know the environment right you didn't know what was facing you now it's not a perfect example but it's the one where when you think of hand-to-hand -hand combat right when people are you know if you're ever attacked outside you shouldn't look at how many people are around you you should look at what could they use to beat you with first then understand what the people are and then you can start to calculate your risk over who are you knocking who are you punching in the throat first and who's going to get the throat and nose punch first because they're going to be the highest risk people. Does that make sense, Jason? It, it, or, or it, no, no, it does. It does. You're 100 percent right. And and it takes and the only the only way you get in that mindset, even you know, going with hopefully none of us walk into that or experience that. But it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war, right? It's better to be prepared and gone through these scenarios. So in case it does happen, you're ready. And switching back to, um, you know, more more in in the the, the cyber realm, right? Even because think about it, when you're in the middle of a of a breach, yeah, you may have even prepared, but there's still the 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 oh you know oh my gosh moments that it, you're it's real and 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 even the things you practice while you can do them or the playbooks or whatever you have it you're still going to be lagging somewhere behind because you're in the moment you're caught in the moment. So why I say all that is that you need to be as, as prepared as possible because even if you are prepared and you have everything laid out, you're still going to encounter challenges that were unforeseen. Um, or that you didn't know because you're in the heat of the moment. Um, so be as ready as possible, of course, but um, still understand that you're going to encounter challenges even if you are ready. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for a lot of our audience, you have to know that. You have to kind of uh, put put that in play um, for everyone to understand. Um, and you have to constantly quantify that versus your environment and versus your business risks. And 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 you've got to look at your competitors and, and your peers in whatever industry you're in and you have to see what they're going through right and so many industries have you know these isacs where you've got free information sharing and, and information sharing behind nda if you're not talking to those people you are missing out if you're not talking to your competitors if you're not talking to your vendor and your security partner all the time about what are you seeing my competitors go through even if it's not by name or what are you seeing my industry go through what are some of the areas where you're seeing the most common lines 
of attacks coming in? What are our attackers targeting right now? Are they going after accounts? Are they going after data? Are they going for ransomware? We know that these vary, right? We know, you know, the GE breach that just happened, right? Was all about data. It had, they had no issue for ransomware. They went after their DARPA data. So, yeah, I'm, I, I was going to say just to comment to that. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think that's why, you know, conversing like this shows these are super important because we know the attackers are, they're talking to each other. They're having a great time and they're making tons of money. And the more we can evangelize and talk about what we're seeing, whether it's, you know, shows like this or, you know, uh, regional meetings, in-person meetings or calling up industry buddies or, or, or friends, um, I think goes a long way because, um, there's a lot of information out there and we can continually uh, learn from each other. Well, I think we're, we're almost at the end of our show here. I want to give Jason a chance here to one plug uh, Pantera. Thank you so much for you guys supporting the show, allowing my vision to still continue while contributing so much valuable information. Uh, Jason, how can people get in touch with you? How can they get, uh, get in touch with Pantera? And we're going to have all these links in the show notes for everyone listening. Don't worry about it. You don't have to write it down. Sure. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Jason Martang. Uh, and if you are interested in hacking yourself and understanding exactly what your environment looks like from the hacker's perspective, then go to Pantera.io, talk to uh, someone, we'll, you know, someone on my team will be happy to get on and, and show you exactly how we can do it in a quick amount of time and, and with ease, and with the click of a button. Absolutely. And, and then Pantera's got a lot of great, great tools, y'all. So go check it out, Pantera.io. Obviously, you can tell with smart people like Jason around, you're not you're not knocking at the door of someone who doesn't know what they're doing. So, Jason, thanks for taking time to be on the show. I really do appreciate it, man. And thank you to Aviv and Noam and the team over at Pantera for all of their support of the program. Um, I want to thank all of y'all for taking time this Friday to hang out with me and Jason. We see your comments. We see your questions. We're going to uh, um, uh, try to get uh, – uh, we'll answer those kind of uh, post-show here be just simply uh, at a timing perspective. But I really appreciate all of y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great weekend, y'all. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback. So make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.